Hi, I'm Forrest Griffin. Brian Carraway. And Lisa Tate. What's up, guys? This is Joseph Benavidez, UFC flyweight. Hi, this is Greg Jackson, and you're listening to It's MMA Zing, and that is an amazing pun. Get it? Like MMA, but amazing? Amazing. Radio. Welcome to It's an Amazing Radio. I am your host, Dr. Law. With me as always, DJ Mark. Sup. Also with me, Lavender Gooms. I need to copy your uh, get hyped uh, procedure there, Bobby. I need to start slapping myself as well. Thank you, Mike. That was definitely definitely something I wanted to bring up. Also joining us this week, Kid Presentable. Mike, you just need that 6 p.m. cold brew. That shit will get you wide awake. Yo, speaking of cold brew, I've been thinking about buying one off of Amazon. So if you got a suggestion, let me know. Bobby got me mine. So Bobby's got the man with the suggestion. Bobby's bought four different devices at various points in the last five years. I'm the one to talk to. Um, now you wish you weren't being a dick to me when this thing started. All right, boys and girls. Um, there was two UFC cards. Between them, there was a handful of relevant fights. There was also a new champion. And there was a lady who tried to take another lady's leg home with her. Um, let's just get into it. Uh, Davis and Figueredo, Joseph Benavidez, um, first time they fought, uh, Joseph won the first round, Davison won the second, well, knocked him out in the second with, uh, Davison missing, uh, missing weight by like three pounds, I think, if I'm not mistaken. Um, this time, uh, he left no doubt. Um, Mark, uh, Joseph Benavidez got his ass whooped for... Four minutes and 48 seconds? Yeah, I mean, I, I think uh, Figueroa's best performance yet <laughs> that I've seen. Um, and it, Mark, real quick, it reminded me of why you and me got on board with this guy with his, like, earlier performances. We're like, oh, yeah, this guy fucking goes for it. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, honestly, I, I think a lot of people feel bad about uh, Joby. You know, he's been so close to the title so many times, and I didn't know a lot of people were rooting for him. I know, Bobby, you were rooting for him a lot. Mm. Um, but to, to, to play on the other side, uh, Figueredo is like the champion this division needs so badly is someone that fucking finishes fights. Uh, it's just, you know, not to give any, anything away from Henny, uh, 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 pseudo when he won the belt, uh, you know, his next fight against TJ, he knocked him out. And then when he moved up, he knocked everyone out. And I think that's really what these divisions need is not just dominant champions, but champions that fucking put stamps on the fights and finishes it. And this is the guy to do it. And I so fucking impressed with his performance here. This is a dude that in this weight division where everyone is, it's all about speed. Everyone's like, I got to get in and out as quickly as possible. This guy's like, nope, I'm going to get in the fucking pocket and I'm going to plant my fucking feet down and you better watch out for these hands because they're fucking coming and they're going to knock you the fuck out. He, he's got a good reach too. It really helps with that too. Yeah, I mean, th- that's the whole thing with this game is that he knows how to get in range and plant down and it's not any of this. I'm on the balls of my feet. I'm punching with one foot up, even though the, the first punch he, he clipped Joby with that actually hurt him. He did have a, a, a leg up in the air because he was kind of off balance, but this dude just throws so hard and it shows in his fights. And that's why he's able to finish guys like Joby so fast is because he's not playing a game of tactics where it's like, I'm going to outscore you. I'm going to outpace you. I'm going to get in tactical positions where I can score a clean shot and get out. He's like, I'm going to fucking go in the pocket. And if you don't get the fuck out of the way, I'm blasting your head off. And I don't know if they said it in the broadcast, 
Um, cause I only watched the fight. Um, and honestly, you know, I'm kind of like a kid who half did his book report this week. Cause I only watched this in the other fight, but, uh, did they, was there any mention of his hairdo? Was he going for a Kratos thing? Did they mention that? Because that's the first thing I saw. I was, a, I was talking to Mike during most of the fight. I wasn't even listening to a lot of it. Because he has this big red streak going through his hair that's very Kratos, God of War. And he looked like he, I mean, honestly. Mark, I, think- I, I listened to a lot of the commentary just to answer your question. Mm-hmm. I don't remember them mentioning anything about it. That's a shame. I hope it was inspiration from Kratos. But, but at the end of the day, uh, you know, I think his last fight, tasted really bittersweet for a lot of people because he missed weight so badly he basically beat the guy that made weight that would actually get the belt if he won and he kind of stole that away from him and it just felt dirty and even him coming back um and making weight which he did you know and kudos for him for actually making the weight this time uh but like i think the victory just feels a little dirty because he missed weight last time and it kind of it takes off some of the joy i think a lot of people had because i think it made him the villain in this and Joe B the hero and the villain just smashed the hero. And you know, to Joe B's credit, dude has a ton of heart. There was no give. You could you could see there was no give as the life left his eyes and they rolled in Marcus, the Marcus, I, I got the number of times he was getting dropped. I honestly thought Joseph has got this mentality tonight. And like I thought he was he got was gonna get choked a couple other times too in there too. Yeah, it looked of- like Joseph was like, You're gonna have to kill me tonight. Like because yeah. when it was over, Joseph said it himself. He's like, I know that was it. I'm not getting another title shot. So he, this was it for him. Like, this is like either I'm going to pull this off or this motherfucker's going to kill me. And yeah. Davis and Figueroa really tried to oblige him. <laughs> yeah. And it was a great performance. So at the end of the day, you know, I think a lot of people, this, this victory and this champion kind of tastes bad in their mouth. But what, honestly, what I saw is someone that didn't have a lot of like emotions invested in is like, a guy that fucking get any, and then you look at Figueroa's record and it's like, oh yeah, this is not like a, this is not a dude that had just recently changed his game plan is just now a killer. This isn't the Chris Lytle thing. This dude, look at his record. He has like three decisions at flyweight. Mm. That's unheard of. That is fucking unheard of. He's a killer, man. Finishes. So I think this is exactly what the division needs. I mean, okay. Honestly, what the division needs is his performances and also like, a personality like Conor McGregor, and that's kind of what this guy lacks. Is that I, does he speak English? No, that's what I wanted to actually talk about um, because it's hard to sell because um, it's a pay per view company, right? And you know they don't sell pay per views in Brazil; it's just on TV. Um, you got to sell in the United States, and if I'm not mistaken, if someone correct me if I'm wrong, the only person ever to sell and not speak English, is probably Anderson. And some of the circumstances there were, while Anderson was icing fools, nobody cared until uh, Chael Sonnen. It was really a Chael Sonnen-Vitor Belfort combination. That kind of put him over the top. So um, I think this is a great start for this. I mean, it's a great... I, honestly, I think Henry staying would have been great too because Henry, as much as a moron he is when he talks, um, he speaks like he speaks confidently and can give an interview at least and he's an olympian there's shit to talk about he was knocking people out whatever and him and dave honestly i would really like him to come back he's not going to for this fight that this would be awesome um mike what did you think man i mean we we went and we were we were watching like come on joseph and then immediately we're like oh no joseph but we got a new champion here in a weight class that doesn't get any attention What'd you think? Yeah, uh, we were all pretty depressed. I remember during it, you know, I was uh, extolling how much I wanted Benavides to win, which you reminded me, you didn't pick him in the picks. And I'm like, well, wanting someone to win and thinking they're going to win are two different things. I picked against them too. <laughs> yep. But when it comes to the weight division, 
I don't really think this means very much because we've seen very prodigious fighters um, be the champion at this division and it not matter very much when it comes to, to pay-per-views. So I still think that, you know, Figueredo at best, he'll be a, you know, he'll continue on the long, maybe not proud tradition of, uh, you know, the free TV title fight being for the 125 strap how it's normally been so far in the UFC or he'll be the the second champ championship fight in a pay-per-view um it'll be very hard to have him as the the main event well Dana um, White seems excited about him he said did say you know he liked that he has a champion out there who smoking fools in this way class knocking well, people out it's probably well, paying, nice. it's probably paying him 100 and 100 too so Dana White's probably excited about that too hope Hopefully that means that Dana will put more either promotion behind them or that means absolutely nothing. Um, but what, skill-wise... Well, Mike, skill real quickly, though, I, mean, I, just, I just thought of this because someone said that uh, Cody Garbrandt for a long time has said he can make 125 comfortably. He walked around at the same weight as Mighty Mouse. He's on, I think, a, I don't know, one fight win streak or whatever, but... No, 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 no. Come on. You don't, you don't think they'd give him a title shot if he went down? Yo, man, I know I know nothing is fair in this world, but come on, you got to give it to Aljo. This is the different weight class, isn't it? It's one twenty five, right? He's talking Al about him dropping, though. I'm talking about I'm talking about Cody at one twenty five against Figueroa. Aljo is in one thirty five. Holy shit! Oh man, all right, I had a brain fart right there. Um, I'm not even talking about fair. I'm just I heard that and I'm like, oh, I could see them doing that. Well, I mean, who else, who would be the top to contender at one twenty five? Nobody knows. Nobody's paying attention. Then it's probably a good idea to have uh, to see if uh, Cody Garbrandt can go down to 125. Then, <laughs> so if, I'm if, thing, if things aren't murky, I'm sorry, I was thinking this is the 135 division. If, if things are murky, and you know you have uh, someone who has some name recognition and has a possible knockout of the year on his record for this year with some buzz behind them, yeah, why not? But skill wise, you know, with the 125 division, outside of you know, Cejudo. This has been a division that's not really had many people who have had, you know, knockout power. Um, the last person I can think of when I think of a 125er who was like, wow, this guy can really hit was um, he fought out of Jackson's uh, nickname was the John, uh, John Dodson. Um, you know, he was he was the last guy I can really remember that, you know, he was known for his power at 125, but. You know, he didn't have the aggressiveness that Figueredo has. So, at the very least... Who was you know, the guy who kept missing weight? Lineker. Just, huh? Lineker? Lineker, Lineker yeah. would have been good. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We're also talking about someone who consistently hit 125. He missed 135 once. Yeah. Uh, so, at least one thing when it comes to, you know, the actual fights themselves is they can be extremely entertaining, Um, you know, at least for the casual fan for, for Figueredo. Steph, um, Benavidez, very realistic, says, I know I'm not getting another title shot. I just don't want to go out like that, which I think everybody is fine with that. But uh, 11 years, he's been top three between two different weight classes. So nothing really to hang your hat on. Like, not really nothing to hang your head on, I guess. Huh? What do you say? Uh, still a very successful run for the man. It's a, I mean, it's a good career, but it, it's bittersweet. Um, a guy like Benavidez wanted to be the best. He wanted to be a champion. Like anyone who ever fights for the belt doesn't get there by accident. Like you have to have a different mindset. And you see guys who just fight to just make a living out of it. Their records are pretty hit and miss, right? You don't 
you don't touch greatness without really being competitive. So it's going to be bittersweet. Um, but there's a long legacy of this in a lot of sports, right? Like when, with basketball, we talk about like the murderers row of hall of famers that never sniffed a ring because Michael Jordan stood in their way. Right. There's just guys that are like that. They're really, really good, but somebody else's apex existed in their era you know, and they just don't get Dominic to see that. Dominic and DJ, man. That's a rough combination. Dominic and DJ being it's the guys. Long, really long reigns, really yeah. long runs. Like, yeah, it, it's just, it's tough. He, he, you know, born in the wrong era to be, um, you know, we, we've seen guys like this. Kenny Florian was another guy who, who got close a lot, right? Um, His teammate, you know, Faber, Mendez, um, Bisping would have been one of these, you know, um, got lucky at the end. I do want to say on Figueroa, you guys are trying to do, do, glass half full and i commend you for it and he, he's fun to watch but i'm a, I'm a glass half empty because this is the real take it doesn't matter um he it, it's going to take a force of nature personality for anyone to care 125 common fans casual fans don't see a knockout artist they say who is this tiny ass guy these look like kids fighting you have that factor which has always really hurt the smaller men's weight classes and then you have the uh amanda nunes at 145 factor of the hardcore fan is gonna be like why should I care about this division? This isn't a division. There's nothing here. There's, why, why actually should I care about what to, happens? To your point, Steph, I think this is a good litmus test. This is really going to test, like, did this division never get off the ground because DJ played it too safe? You know, he had a great run, but he didn't have a lot of finishes. Um, there were too few and far between, and that's why people couldn't clap on. And if Figueroa can contain the belt for a while and continue to put these performances on, one, I think Bobby is right it's going to have to be on free TV. They're going to have to get people on this guy. He will, I mean, to really make it, he would need a foil. He needs someone that has some personality that could build up a fight. And then he needs to smoke that guy. And if those things can come together, it's kind of like, okay, we can figure out, like, is this division doomed because people are disinterested because they're small and they don't have the power? He's proving the point otherwise. Like, okay, this guy's small, but he absolutely has the power. He finishes all his fucking fights. And if they can't, if he can have a reign where he gets like two or three wins, a couple on free TV. If still then people can't get excited about his fights. And I think part of it's going to be because there needs to be promotion. And I think that is going to be the toughest part. There's no big. They should have paid Henry, man. Yeah, I think Henry they should have paid someone him. like Henry. Someone needs to kind of step up in this division and make some noise and kind of put themselves out there and even be and maybe even potentially be like, OK, I'm going to be an asshole. I'm going to be a dick. Um, that's what kind of Henry did. It, you know, it's not something I think a lot of people want to navigate into i think you have to have a an ego that can maintain having people hate you which i think is hard for a lot of people i think people want most people want to generally be liked so it's hard to go out there and be a covington or a cejudo when you're going to say shit that's going to piss people off and you're going to hear that well, covington's a good example of it go of you letting it go too far and not nobody caring absolutely <laughs> and, but i mean this this division needs a lot of things and one thing it needs is someone that's going to put on exciting fights they have that is that going to be enough to translate into any interest into it as personally for me as a fan, I'm more interested now than I was when DJ was fighting a bunch of dudes. We already knew the outcome of the fight before it even happened. Um, so I think that is an interesting new wrinkle in here. But I think Henry had that a little bit too. When he smoked TJ, I was like, oh shit, this is getting, this guy's getting, is becoming an interesting champion. It's really sad that he moved up, up a division to a division that didn't quite need to have big star power. And this division kind of faltered. But I think Figaro, he has a piece of the puzzle that I think was previously missing. It'll be interesting to see if that's enough to get interest in he's, this division. He's calling but, out Mighty Mouse right now. Yeah, which is, you know, I saw that too, and I was like, well, that's weird. Yeah, I, mean, I, 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 will, there, but. I will sit here still bitter that they got rid of Mighty Mouse. I get it on some level, but motherfucker is a 
best champion you've had since Anderson, but whatever. Although, um, just, just for that, if you think about it, they did get the better end of that deal because they got the guy who Jorge Masvidal blasted into Jupiter, which made Jorge Masvidal, you know, on the road to yeah. a million pay-per-view seller. Yeah, it's called, they got very lucky that worked yes. out that well. Um, say luck, I say skill. You said yes, but then you said it was, it was luck. That was luck. Yeah. All right. Um, we'll see where we go from here. Um, Benavidez, just want to say, um, was nice enough to respond to us on Twitter. And Mark, he's in our intro of our podcast. And the guy, if you read his story, really overcame a lot. He had drug and alcohol abuse problems when he was uh, in his late teens and early 20s. Got his shit together. Uh, joined um, joined Alpha Male after wrestling, I think, in like New Mexico. Or no, Texas, maybe. I mix it up always with that guy. Guy really made a real good career for himself. And... Um, He's, you know, he made his he made his own style of uh, jujitsu after a while. Didn't so, know. Uh, didn't know he struggled with dr- with drug abuse. Yeah, um, he's an interesting cat. You listen to him talk at all, um, and he used to give he used to give out the Joby Awards on Twitter. I really enjoyed Joseph Benavidez. At a certain point, I seemed like I always kind of got the impression when he lost to D, uh, to DJ again. Uh, it kind of sounds weird, but I, he almost like a broke his heart. Like he, a lot of his humor and fun went away for him in MMA. It seemed like. Because before that, you know, Joe Kozuna and, you know, Joe Wan Kenobi and uh, he had the, um, I think the second highest belt in jiu-jitsu was the piano key belt and shit like that, you know. It was fun, but man had a really good career and, you know, if he wants to go out in a couple more fights with a win, and which is weird because he's not like he's losing a lot of fights. Like he lost these two. Before that, he lost like a really close one, I want to say to Sergio Pettis, um... That's a guy that probably should have kept around. Before that, it was Mighty Mouse, like, six years before. So, just can't beat the champ. Um, all right, also in this card, uh, Kelvin Gastelum. Uh, that was bad. Um, there was no other way to describe it. That was that was a very poor showing by Kelvin Gastelum to get put out by uh, Danson Jack Hermanson in under a minute and a half by a heel hook. Um, he was sloppy. I'm not some sort of jujitsu expert, but he's he said it himself. He's got to get some shit together. And Steph, he's in the wrong weight class. Like, as good as he is, he's in the wrong weight class. I mean, he's, I believe the three of you picked Kelvin, right? Like, yeah, I didn't think I'm wrong, a, yeah, even 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 you even you didn't think it was gonna be heel hook and, and it's eighty seconds in. Oh yeah, I didn't, I didn't call the thing. I like Jack though, because like I, I he I think Jack's got potential. He's he's a guy who's easy to forget. He just doesn't necessarily ring particularly exciting but he he's an interesting fighter well a lot um, of the steam came out of his but, sales i think when he got knocked out by cannoneer i think because a lot of people got a lot of hype behind him and then but it's like uh i mean can i uh, before we go to kelvin can i give props to the guy who won i yeah. loved his post fight the man laid out the entire division yeah. he's like <laughs> cannoneer's gonna get the next title shot i'm gonna fight the winner of this one and we'll be on deck and i'm like you're playing in like three four fights out you're logical and but one of those things in hindsight shine came off of cannoneer but look what he said. Cannonier's sniffing a title shot. Like we all just we we kind of like dismissed him as a heavyweight, light heavyweight. He just seemed like a guy. Guy got in shape all the way down to like middleweight, and apparently he's just been obliterating anyone when you look at his guy record. He's just we we had a misconception of him early on, and he's reinvented himself in the weight class. So maybe that loss doesn't look so bad in hindsight, like a year from now. But um, yeah, great fight from him. I really loved 
his uh, post fight about just kind of setting it up. But to Kelvin, um, it's what I said last week when you guys were talking about him, right? You're like, maybe we'll get the best version of Kelvin. And I'm like, no, we won't because the best version of Kelvin is not at middleweight. The best version of Kelvin is at welterweight. And yeah, it's just he, he looks how he looks, right? He's still carrying extra softness. Look, I'm not trying to body shame or anything. It's just we can all admit he's not in his optimum weight class. And the longer he stays here, you know, he's mentioning shit he has to get together. He's clearly not if he's not doing the best thing for his so career. It, it, if I may ask, um, the way this fight went, Kelvin got him to the ground mm. and in a scramble tried to get up, perhaps stupidly. I don't know. Yeah. I don't do jujitsu. Um, but him trying to just get up got caught in, in what was it, a knee bar? Uh, he got a heel hook. Heel hook but, uh, got caught in a heel hook. So how much of this is, I mean, obviously you got to know how to do all that stuff, you know, for, you know, to, to, to catch someone in it. But how much of it was just a bit of stupidity on the part of Kelly? I think it was sloppy. I think he was sloppy trying to get out. Mark, what did you think? I thought he was sloppy trying to get out. Uh, yeah, I mean, before that, I mean, we talk about, you know, his performance. I mean, he it's not that he looked bad. He got an over-under and... I mean, a lot of people think Jack initiated that takedown and Calvin got on top. That was Calvin's takedown. He tripped him and spun him around on top. That was a that was a good takedown. Honestly, it seemed like a lapse in in scrambling when he was in more danger than he thought. Because I mean, look, we we've seen and we joke about Stefan all the time. No one does heel hooks. These these submissions never work. There's like two guys that can pull it off. But when you can pull it off, is early in a fight when dudes haven't sweat that much. And I think Calvin, he was in a position where he needed to keep rolling. He needed to put the other his other heel on the guy's butt and try to rip his leg out. There's a couple of defenses that he could have initiated. And he kind of sat there when he was in danger and didn't move. And Jack torqued the, the heel hook and got it. So I think it was, you know, I, I, I hesitate to say like, oh, this was Kelvin looked like shit in this fight. Because like he, he got an over under takedown. That's not a position you see a lot of guys get takedowns from. So I was I was impressed with that. I was not impressed when and, and why uh, to your point, like why Calvin gave up the, the front position is because Jack went after the leg. He went after the leg and Kelvin had to scramble to get out of it. And he did a little bit. And then when he was actually in danger and needed to continue to scramble, he kind of stopped. It gave Jack a moment to slap on that uh, that lock. And because there's not a lot of sweat, you couldn't easily pull it out. He got the submission. So I think it is a, a kind of, you know, a, a brain fart on Calvin's part to not recognize that he's in danger and that he needed to improve the position. But I don't put like a ton of merit that like he came into this fight like not prepared or anything because like he looked good in those well here, here's the thing i think a step on might be with me when the logic when our argument is this i'm because i'm with you on this stuff i it's not that like he missed weight he's like he's missed weight or he's in the wrong weight class and because of that he got heel hooked it all kind of paints points to the overall picture where this guy doesn't take this as seriously as he should given the sheer amount of raw talent and not just raw, but like talent in general, he has shown for this sport. Because when the rubber meets the road, I kind of like, I'm like, Kelvin's not going to get all the way there. You know what I'm saying? Was that, was that, yeah. Is that what you're on? No, I think that's here because to your point, um, I think, you know, I, with, I, I'm with Mark as well. I, it was just, it was a big brain fart. Um, we saw it in another fight too, which, you know, we'll mention as a highlight. Uh, but Ariane Lipsky, she got a knee bar. And the one thing that Kelvin and I, I, I forget Lipsky's opponent's name. Um, they both showed a lack of urgency. They both like you saw them both going to work on the leg 
And it's like, you should really scramble. You should really explode out of it. And they gave him like two, I mean, two, three seconds, but that's a lot of time if you're a talented grappler. And they just kind of let it happen to them. And you could see it coming like, yeah, you're really not fighting what they're trying to do. You're just letting them do it. Okay, they got it. Um, but to your point about uh, Kelvin, it's kind of like, it's. it reminds me when like Chael got a sports psychologist because that's kind of what it seems with Kelvin. Um, there's just something not clicking like when they said this is his third loss in a row, that was kind of shocking. Like I didn't even like think about it. Like, yeah, this you know we 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 don't think of him being in that kind of desperation scenario because we do remember he had that great war with Izzy. But it's like, but you're coming out on the wrong end of things, right? There's just something. The sharpness isn't there. The focus isn't there. Why does a why does a you know it, if it's just one mental lapse, you can write it off. But there seems to be a recurring thing with him where that that sharpness just isn't where it should be. And compound that stuff he's brought it up he said like that izzy fight like i like i think he said it was after like the till fight like i just my head wasn't in the game i needed to switch things up so like even he's recognizing that there is a mental lapse in his training or his preparedness or just like i mean you talk about how fighters have to like click on when they get in that octagon and they kind of have to you have to get i mean there's one thing when you train in sparring and there's another thing when you're in the fight you know like the thing a, a mental switch clicks in their head and it's like okay i'm not pulling punches i'm going full blast this is for real and it does seem like he lacks that kind of urgency in some of his fights where he's kind of just just going with the motions right he's just feeling the fight as it flows and he's not trying to control what's happening in there um and, and that's what seemed like in here like he had a moment where they got in the clinch he's like oh i gotta control this he gets the takedown and then it was jack's going for submission i have to get out of this he scrambled a little bit and then he didn't recognize, like, I'm not out of this yet. I'm in a different position. I need to keep working and stop working. And he 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 paid the price. So I think your guys' analysis of Calvin's game, and especially middleweight does not seem to be a natural weight cl- class for him. It just seems this was what he had to do because he wasn't getting focused and prepared enough. In fairness, he made he got a title shot in this weight class too. He did. That's and how he made it. I made it work. And that's why, and that's that's what's so frustrating, right? We like we have a number of fighters that we know aren't meeting the level that they can perform to and one of them one of them weirdly enough is like john jones like we know this guy is is capable of even greater things than he's showing just like calvin we know he's better than this fight we know he's better than getting caught with a heel hook at a minute 18 in a fight i've seen him perform better it's just he's not performing at that level that we know he's capable of and that's frustrating for us as fans and it's frustrating for calvin because he knows in his heart like i'm better than this but I'm not performing to my best ability. And why is that? It, it obviously seems like it's more of a mental thing than a physical. All right. Um, didn't expect us to spend half an hour talking about the talking about two fights, but that's all I uh, saw. I'm out from all the rest. Um, so um, Rafael Razeev kicked Mark Diacasey a bunch. I think it's a fair summary of that fight, Steph. Um, got a nice W there. Ariane Lipsky. Call herself the queen of violence didn't let us down because um she tried to rip off luana carolina's leg with that knee bar it was fucking gross um that young lady should have tapped out way sooner like when someone touched her leg that that was that was when she needed to tap out (laughs) knees don't bend that way yeah that was that was horrible um but big win for her um stringing together two wins now both of them against people without wikipedia pages her two yeah, UFC fights losses to fight losses to women with Wikipedia pages, so she's beating people uh, who aren't good. I was excited about her when she was coming into the UFC, but she kind of just got too tough of a slate for her debut match. Her first career UFC match was against JoJo, 
you know, which is a quality opponent. So I think they just needed to course correct with her um, and just kind of make sure she's fighting that right level of competition. But uh, she was an interesting prospect coming in, so it's nice to see her put this together. Yeah, I was only 26 years old, too, so there's a lot of room still to see where we go from here. And I think she trains under Cyborg. You know, I'm never on Twitter, but I was on Twitter enough to see uh, that Dominic Reyes took a shot at her um, for everyone to point out that she's married and to uh, back away, Dominic. Back away slowly. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, fight of the night was Dia Casey, Rafael Fiziev, uh, performance of the night, uh, Lipsky and Figueroa. Um, there was also a card on Wednesday. Um, that was very uneventful, to be honest. Um, uh, the, for me, the most entertaining fight, um, Abdul Razak Al-Hassan and, um, Monir Lazay. Um, Al-Hassan only throws heat, Steph, which really leads to a lot of gas issues. He was very about, tired. He was very tired. Yeah. You know? Honestly, he's like, this guy's still here? God, I did like he catches breath and throws some more heat. It's like, fuck, I'm hitting him. Why is he still here? Did he win? Uh, I didn't. I don't even remember the decision. No, he lost. Okay. <laughs> like he dropped the guy like immediately, and then still lost that round. So yeah, um, easy fight of the night. Um, Calvin Cater, Dan Ige. Cater was just too much for him, Steph. Huh? Just higher, higher ceiling. Um, I think we just kind of. I said not to be hard on Dan. I just think we kind of know what he is, and he kind of seems like a back ten maybe back 15 gatekeeper type. Um, I, I, I don't really think he's the top five material. Yeah, 28 years old, uh, Dan Ige. So if he's going to want to make improvements, it's going to have to happen now. Um, Jimmy Rivera really needed a win. So the least we can say is he did that. Uh, he got a win. It wasn't the greatest performance. He was very critical of himself. But Cody Staman is no uh, is no pushover. Um, Jimmy got a, got, you know, after losing th- two, three of his last four against really, quite frankly, crazy hard competition. Marlon Moraes, Aljamain Sterling, and Peter Yawn getting a win here. Um, maybe a little bit of confidence, as disappointed as he was in himself. Um, but yeah, two cards, um, which, uh, I mean, may- they maybe needed another two card week this week because there's like 16 fights on this card this weekend. That's, that's I know that these international guys need contracts, but we need fights. But Jesus Christ, um, I think the only news I saw was that uh, before we get into picking picks, is that Izzy is going to fight Paulo Costa, um, which is the fight to make in that way class. Quite frankly, right now, anybody here confident? Anybody here pick uh, pick Paulo Costa? <laughs> Nah, I mean, I think it's going to be interesting. It's been a long time coming, but I still got Izzy. Yeah, I still got yeah. Izzy on that one. I mean, not to change gears, but I, I saw something earlier that I was like, well, this seems like news we might talk about. Uh, Dana White still won't give Aljamain Sterling like the next title shot. He's like, he's in the picture. And I was like, dude, he's number one. <laughs> number three just got the belt. Just give him, go ahead and give him the goddamn fight already. I thought that was weird. They're like, they're like, Aljamain Sterling say something bad about Dana White's mother? I think he's mad. He's like, this dude's selling the whole division. And like, they have a whole department. He's like, what are you guys doing? This one guy's Twitter is doing a better job than all of you. I have to imagine he's just guilty because he's just uh, sour from grapes, you know, is what I'm thinking. He just, if he says he's next, Aljo will ask for more money. He can't have guys asking for more money. Mm, Good point. Yeah. Um, This weekend, though, the UFC, I mean, I don't think any news, unless I missed something. Um, I think Bellator's back, too, this weekend. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, 
there's a lot of cards actually happening. Um, if you listen to MMA Junkie, so no offense to MMA Junkie, but I don't know how many of these were written like six months ago. But yeah, Bellator, um, this one I heard about, uh, Sergio Pettis taking on Ricky Bandejas. Uh, Jordan Meehan's on the card. Uh, Aaron Pico's on the card. Mike and I don't have money on him this time, so there's no way for him to, you know, disappoint us any further. Um, but I don't know what this, what channel, uh, this is not on DAZN. So it's possible Bellator is being relegated back to Paramount Network. Uh, who doesn't want them either, despite owning them? Um, their prelims are on YouTube. Straight up YouTube. There are seven fights on this card, total. Main and prelims. Um, but this is Bellator. They'll probably fit about 62 other fights in there, anyway. Um, but UFC, um, back on Fight Island. Uh, their last fight card on Fight Island with, like, 30 fights. Um, we're gonna pick, uh, I think we're just picking the top four, if I'm not mistaken here. But we'll talk about some of the other ones on here. Leading off, uh, Bobby Knuckles, Darren Till, um, Stefan Betting Odds. Uh, pretty close, actually. Um, Robert, uh, Bobby Knuckles coming in as a slight favorite at minus 115 to a minus 105 for Darren Till. So, uh, you're getting, you ain't getting plus odds in this fight. So, I, I'll go first here because I have some pretty strong feelings. Um, these odds are close because of the reason Bobby Whitaker took time, Bobby Knuckles took time off. Um, he said he was burned out and he needed time off and stress and all these things. And for the betting community, that is, uh, those are things that make you wonder, right? About how much the guy's head in the game is, of course. Um, I, as someone who thinks he'll be fine, he's gonna, he's all there. I don't think this is close in terms of ability. I think that Bobby Knuckles is on a different level. Quite frankly, than Darren Till. Darren Till is a good fighter, but I think he's going to get pieced up. I know he's a good stand-up fighter, but I think he's going to get pieced up, and I think he's going to get dropped, and he's going to get finished. Because uh, Tyron Woodley's going to outstrike you, Bobby Knuckles is going to do it too. I know there's a threat of a takedown to- with with Tyron Woodley. I'm not an idiot, but I got. I mean, I'm a big Bobby Bobby Knuckles mark, so I'm picking him. Steph, what do you think? <laughs> Man, you got two of our four names in that statement. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, you gave it context, Bob, but um, you know, a lot of times we say a line is too far. This line is too close. Uh, I think Bobby Knuckles easy. Um, Till is very chinny. He's very hittable. He's tough. He's strong. He's big. Um, you know, he he had. There's a reason we got excited about his prospect. But so far, Izzy is the only person that uh, Bobby has not been able to get his hands on. Um, and I definitely think he can find a chill or Till's chin and knock him out in this one. Um, yeah, you hopefully he's all there, right? That that's never a place you want. I remember, um, what was it? The famous beard fight between uh, Brock Lesnar and Overeem, where at the end of it, Brock is like, "Oh yeah, by the way, I was going to retire whether I won or lose. I don't really want to do this anymore." I'm like, "Damn it, Brock! You could have told me beforehand. There's information I could have used on Friday." But um, I don't think Bobby, I, I believe him at base. I'll take him at face value when he says, you know, this time off is just what he needed. Um, and if anything, the quarantine has been making him itch to do something. So, uh, yeah, I like the return of the knuckles here. Bobby muted. Sorry, Bobby Knuckles, um, by the way, did some reading about him taking time off. Mentioned in the article, he's got three kids and he's also raising his brother and sister. So, 
a lot of pressure on that man in general in life. Um, Mark, what do you got? Yeah, um, I, I'm also going with Bobby Knuckles. Um, I don't feel nearly as confident. Um, I think you guys bring up some good points about uh, Darren Till being kind of chinny. Um, but really, a lot of it, a lot of this comes from his last performance, uh, Bobby Whitaker, um, against Izzy, where he wasn't able to do what I'd I base so much of my um, uh, faith in him being a champion and winning fights and his his accuracy with with his punching because he seemed really off. He was stepping too deep into the pocket with Izzy. I think it was a little bit of nerves, you know, being gone for so long and then fighting someone like Izzy that kind of has this aura. Um, I think I might have thrown him off a little bit, but it was a tough performance to have the next fight and, and for me to feel super confident that he's going to be able to smoke Darren Till. Um, but I, I still think he's going to win. Like you guys, I think he's going to be able to eventually find that chin. Um, and we've seen Till go down to, you know, I don't want to say like weaker fighters, but smaller fighters. You know, Jorge Masvidal is, you know, not a, <laughs> he's not a middleweight, you know. So, I mean, he's, he's, he's a welterweight and he can be somewhat of a big welterweight when, you know, because he doesn't have to cut weight and stuff like that. But I think uh, Bobby Knuckles has heavier hands. I think the thing that got him to the championship and defended the belt is his extreme accuracy being able to really outreach his arms and still be able to catch the guy is kind of the key um, to him catching a lot of people. So I hope we see that with Darren Till. I could see Till presenting a lot of problems when it comes to that range because Till has a good kicking game. He has a good low kick. He has a good oblique kick. So it, I think on the outside, Bobby might find a little trouble stepping in and feeling comfortable throwing those punches. But I feel once he does, he'll be able to, to find the mark and finish the fight. So, you know, I do think Bobby's going to win, but I wouldn't be surprised if Till makes this tough and it is an ugly not maybe maybe even not like a super entertaining fight because they're on the outside trying to figure out how to exploit each other and you know maybe that puzzle is not going to be easily solved so you know i got bobby but i have a feeling it's going to be tough i'll be i'll be the guy and jinx it and say i think there's no way this is bad um mike um i mean if you're not addressing the fact that if darren till wins this fight we're not going to get uh darren till versus mike perry i don't even know why you're on this podcast Wait, so if Darren Till loses this fight, we don't get Mike Perry? Since someone did no, Mike if he Perry wins. become the prize. I'm saying if he wins. I'm saying if he wins, we don't uh, get that fight. Yeah, sure. That would be kind of sad. Um, we're not getting that fight because do you remember what's going on with Mike Perry? Is that he's fighting everyone in a bar? He's not fighting for a little while. We're not Yo, this is the, this is the UFC. This the is the fact? UFC, man. This, they, try to get, they try to get Jeremy Stevens out of jail like three hours after he was booked to get him to fight that night. This is the UFC. The fact that he is getting into so many bar fights means he's going to have lawyer fees, which means he's going to need to fight. So if anything, this makes it a lot more likely that we'll see Darren Hill versus Mike Perry. Um, not too much to add on uh, the analysis. You guys pretty much hit it out of the park. We're going to be sweeping this. I'm going with Bobby Knuckles. Um, you can't really equate Izzy Adesanya and how good of a striker and his mobility with Darren Till. Uh, Bobby Knuckles will be able to find Darren Till's chin. Um, Hogerio Noguera, Shogun Hua, three, four, two. At least three, right? Call, it, call uh, this match what it really is. It's Expendables 4. Age in the cage, right, guys? We got age in the cage happening here again. Um, I don't want to talk about this. I got Shogun. <laughs> Mark? <laughs> I have nothing to say. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm in the same boat. It's just tough because, I mean, I think a little Nog should have hung Wait, up. I apologize. Stefan, what are the betting odds? Uh, minus 185 Shogun plus 160 Lil Nog. 
Yeah, that's right. Mark, yeah. go ahead, please. And, and that's not too surprising because, you know, Little Nog, Little Nog, you know, just hasn't really looked like himself, you know, in, in, in between his whole career, he's had these big stints of inactivity. Um, and it, but it's not like the things are going so well for Shogun either. It is it is a weird matchup. It is something that I feel is completely unnecessary. Um, but I also have Shogun because I just think he's he's in a better spot in his career. I think he's younger. I have no idea. But uh, yeah, I'm going with Shogun. I'm gonna look. I'm under. I'm under the pressure. Shogun about a what a few fights in a row at one point. Oh, no, I was gonna say the best thing we can say about Shogun is he's significantly less shot than we all picture in our mind. Like he's not as broken as we think he is. Yeah, Shogun is one. Shogun is undefeated. Is, is only like lost one of his last you know six fights. Just putting that out there. See, there was a point in that where there was a joke where if he wins again, he's actually in title contention. Yeah, as much was... as we're reluctant to admit it. <laughs> uh, who you got? Um, Lil Nog. Now that said, Lil Nog is fucking shot. That di- that guy is a broken old paddy wagon. He is. He's the car in the redneck yard that we're shooting with our guns. That's got rickety with holes and rust all over. Lil Nog. Uh, he will retire into the sunset. Great career. Um, but I'll always remember him for that time. Rumble Johnson absolutely bounced his head off of the fence. Well, yeah, because I, we were. I was sitting next to you, and you said. Little Nog's gonna die. I think is roughly what you said. Well, he got hit real bad, and then he got caught on the fence, and I'm like, oh no, he's knocked out. But he's leaning against the fence, and no one knows. And then Rumble got one extra shot. Well, in. that was also the one where they were showing the backstage warmups, and I and we were all sitting there, and I'm like, we're all like, guys, we're sure we're doing this. This is <laughs> this seems uh, this seems dangerous to Little Nog's health. Um, yeah, Little Nog's a hundred years old. Um, Mike. This is like a drag race between a Model T and like whatever car came out in like the 1940s. They're both really old, beat down pieces of shit, but you're going to take the slightly okay. new car. That was harsh. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, six years older. Hogerio, by the way. Um, all right. Um, Alex Gustafson, not really retired. Fabricio Verdum, no longer on steroids. They're fighting at heavyweight. Heavyweight debut. Heavyweight debut for uh, Alexander Gustafsson, or as Dana White always likes to say, Gustafsson. Um, Mike, let's have you. Let's have a breakdown of this one after Stefan gives us the odds here. Uh, this is one uh, where, just to kind of the inverse of that main event, um, the line here is uncom- uncomfortably wide. For my liking, but we have Gus coming in as a pretty big favorite at minus three forty to plus two eighty for the former heavyweight champion Fabricio Verdum. I totally forgot Fabricio even fought in May. If I'm being honest, uh, Mike, though, what do you got for this? <laughs> yeah, well, you know, we were talking earlier about the mind state of Robert Whitaker, you know, and how um, you know he was going through a lot of stuff, and I don't know if he actually ever thought about retiring or not, but. And Gustafson, we have a guy that I think at this point has he retired twice um, in the UFC? I thought it was just the one time. Was there another time? He he threw it out there after one of the Cormier losses because he kind of had that indication of like, look, if I can't be the champion, I don't want to just keep. I don't want to fight just to be fighting. Like he kind of had lost. You know, he lost to Jones. He lost to DC, and when he was out, I think that's the first time he like flirted with it, but he didn't outright say he was. Well, this is going to be an interesting match because, as you guys noted, this was his first match, you know, in heavyweight. And I know he was one of the the, the taller, light heavyweights. Um, I don't think he was you know, um, an extremely big 
205ers. So it'll be interesting to see how he matches up against, you know, Verdun, who I think normally comes in about like 250 or so. So you, you didn't think he was big? I mean, I knew, five? I thought he was tall, but tall doesn't necessarily mean you're like big. I mean, he's I, my guess is like my guess, natural 230. I was going to say guess. he's going to show up at 230, 235. Yeah. You know, what like, you got, Mike? Yao like, like, Ming weighed like 350 pounds. Mike, let's just be honest. You're, you're, Mike, you're just stalling because you're trying to work out in your head how good the drug testing is on Fight Island. Mm. <laughs> well,. I think even with all of this, we still have Usada going on, right? Like Usada's still there. We just haven't heard from them in a while. Um, <laughs> nah, man, I, I can't go with Gustafson. Um, He's I, minus three forty. Well, what does that mean? That means nothing to me. All right, I'm going with I'm a- my gut, Bobby. Right? It's not quite a plum pick, but um, yeah. you're picking the you're picking the guy who was like three fights ago was like the heavyweight champion. So it's <laughs> it's not like you know maybe I, longer. I, I just wonder how Gustafson's going to translate to the heavyweight division. So. I think this is a horrible idea. I just horrible. think uh, Gustafson or for for, uh, for Gustafson, but I also think Verdum has been done. Um, he looked useless. I thought in May, um, he looked old. Olenek looked old. Who they're both old. It worked out like that. Um. Yeah, I'm gonna. I'm, I got Gustafson. Steph. Um. Yeah, it's kind of funny if you remove Darren Till from the equation when we're looking at the top three fights of this card. There's a lot of what does this guy have less left as the narrative. Um. Yeah, it's. I'm, I'm nervous, and I think this line is way too big because Gustafson can get finished. Verdum has very heavy strikes. Um, but the thing that's going against him is, yeah, that may fight. You know what the, the most damning thing? Verdum did not throw the flying kick at the start of every round. By the end of the fight, he, he was over it. He's like, I'm not even going to fuck with it. Um, and it's such a bullshit kick, but that's why I love watching Verdum fight. That's kind of what I'm expecting to see out of this is Gustafson just have movement and speed. Um, Verdum is very, very lumbering now at this like stage in his career. He, he's a bit flabbier. Um, yeah, I... But if, if, if Gus gets slept, it won't shock me either, but I'm just hoping he'll kind of outpoint a decision here. Mark? Yeah, I mean, I, you guys said all the reasons. I, I do think this is really an interesting kind of compelling fight uh, because of where both guys are in their career. And Alex Alexander, obviously moving up to heavyweight is kind of, you know, there's a lot of questions there. Um, I'm going to go with Alexander, um, but there's not a lot of confidence there. Um, it's mostly thinking that maybe he has a little bit more left in the tank. Um, the mileage isn't as bad. I, I never got the impression that the cut to 205 was like super hard for Gus, but I mean, that's always <laughs> that's probably the biggest X factor is how is he going to look at heavyweight? Is he going to be a guy that has spent this time? I mean, obviously, dieting's out the door, but is he going to try to focus on gaining muscle mass so that he can physically compete with these bigger guys? Or is this a thing where I mean, I think the way in's going to say a lot. If this dude's got a belly on him, you know, I'm going to lose a lot of confidence in this pick because it kind of tells me like, okay, he's using this don't have to cut weight to just abandon a lot of the difficulties in training camp, which is like having a strict diet and having a really hard work ethic. Um, but if he comes in, he looks like he bulked up and he's taking this seriously, then I have a lot more confidence. But we really don't know until we see him. We've never seen him at heavyweight. Verdum's a question mark across the board, which is, you know, where his head's at. His, his last couple performances have been fairly poor. So, yeah, I'm going with Gus, but 
you know, I don't have a lot of confidence. I agree with Steph. The line is kind of all over the place. I don't agree that it should be quite that bad because I think Verdum could shock everyone. Like, oh, he took him down. Oh, fuck, that's right. This guy's like a B- BJ Black Belt wizard, and he just subs Gus. You know, I-, I could absolutely see us forgetting, like, oh, yeah, this guy actually has a skill set where he absolutely smokes people, and we forget about it because we haven't seen it in so long. But who's to say? Um, you know, I- I'm going with-, with Gus and the mileage not being so bad and-, and him winning the fight that way, but no confidence in that whatsoever. That's all of us, right, for that one? That is. All right, um, Carla Esparza. Trying to bounce back from her split decision. Oh, bounce back. What am I talking about? She won. Yeah, she win. Yeah, win. Uh, trying to keep that. Um, I mean, she 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 had the decision trifecta the last three fights. Decision by uh, unanimous decision victory, majority decision victory, split decision victory. Um, now, I, you the know way this is, well, here's the thing. Her, her her opponent Marina Rodriguez is don't, coming don't, off of a draw. Don't. Oh man, Bob! Don't 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 move over! Don't move over my train. This is I want to talk about this fight first. I'm very excited about this. <laughs> you know what? Go ahead, you go first. <laughs> so the line is incredibly close. It is plus one forty five for the Cookie Monster and minus one sixty five for Marina Rodriguez. Marina Rodriguez has four fights in the UFC. Two of them, a woman after my own heart, majority draw. This woman's got two majority draws in four UFC fights. All uh, all decisions. Look at uh, Cookie Monster. Carla loves going to decision. This fight is one hundred percent going to decision. <laughs> well, what are the, what's your pick? I, think I don't know how this is going to work. If you, if I don't you know how draw, this is going to work. I think if you draw and get it, you get two points. I'm calling it majority draw. If you pick a draw, I have no idea how that works in the pick. We've never done this in the history. I can get two points. Say you put your your name goes in both. No, no, he gets a draw. If it's a draw. He gets two. We'll give him credit for two. You know what I do? Uh, I will put a category called picking both. <laughs> no, no. We get at least what we're gonna have. Everybody's gonna have their win loss record. Stefan's just gonna have a little plus one next to it because he got another <laughs> extra one right. That's what it's gonna be. Uh, and watch it end up being some weird DQ, no contest. Uh, it'll have some type of wonky non finish. But um, you know what? If I'm ever gonna make the call, this is the fight to do it. Majority. Draw. Seriously, Carla's. Just to make Car- sure. No, sorry to interrupt, but just to make sure, if it's not a majority draw, that just counts as a loss. Yeah. Loss. Okay. If anybody else wins this fight, I have a very high. <laughs> this is this is shooting the full court shot. This is in all likelihood. This is a big old L. Throwing this year away. He's like, but, uh, I've won already. What? Look, if I can't choose the girl who's got half of draws on her record for a draw, when am I ever going to pull that card? Come on, don't let me down, ladies. Let's let's grapple this fight away to very uneventful rounds. Mark, what do you got? Uh, yeah, I mean, I I think what kind of makes this interesting is, I mean, uh, is the Nothing. people she got draws from. You know, they're they're grappling oriented fighters, which Carla very much is. So that kind of leads me to believe, like, you know, she might have a foil here that she can exploit um, on Rodriguez. That also being said, I look at that Tisha Torres win, and I'm like, oh, that's a good scalp to have on your uh, on your side so I, I do think it's really close i'm gonna go with carla i mean i really wish if i watched film i could draw a better line than like these two chicks are good grapplers and they gotta draw maybe carla on a bit of a, a run here we'll be able to get the decision but um you know that's kind of my thought process but i'm you know, at the end of the day i'm kind of pulling with steph and like you said bobby the decisions are in such a way where it's unanimous majority split a draw would be the next step. So that logically makes sense there. But uh, yeah, I'm going to go with Carla. Yeah, Rodriguez is really good about winning two rounds and then 
getting beaten like she stole something. But that's what that Carla's good at. Carla, <laughs> yeah. You know what? That, Carla's good at winning two rounds. And then, so it's really, who wins those first two rounds is going to be interesting. Who, who'd you end up picking? Carla. Of course you did. I mean, I, mean, I don't know. She, the girl's 12 and 0 and 2. She ain't got no losses. 12 0 and 2. That was, seeing that 2, I'm like, oh my God, you have 2 in that column? Amazing. Uh, I'll take Carla also. She was the champion. Mike. Now, just to give Steph a little more breathing room and a little leeway, we'll also include a double knockout as, uh, you know, he would get, you know, the, the positive as well. We're going to give him. Okay, fine. Sure. Well, I mean, if there's a double knockout, we all win. From two fighters that don't knock anyone out, that would be absolutely spectacular. That um, is when I go, that's when I go outside and say, the end is nigh. The end is nigh. Get the fuck out of here, people. It's the end of the world. I'm picking Carla. Um. All right. Also on this card, because we're not picking these fights, just like a lot of people you know. Let's put it that way. All right. We got Paul Craig. We got Peter Sabata from the UFC game. We got uh, Alex Cowboy Oliveira. We got Trinaldo there to snooze it up. Nicholas Dalby's on this card. You got uh, Betch Cohea's on this card. Uh, Ramazan Amiv. Is that the guy who's a your big favorite, Steph? What was that? Who's the guy who's the big favorite? Oh, it's the guy who's at the at least on the. I don't know if he's opening the fight, but he's at the bottom of the best uh, the betting odds. But we have Kamzat Chimev, who's a minus eleven hundred favorite. Um, he's undefeated, seven and zero, all finishes. So um, if he's on the main card, opening the main card. He's opening the main card. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's that's a prospect right there. So um, middleweight, it looks like six foot two. Looks like he's got good size. Um, yeah, middleweight is kind of turning into one of their cream divisions they got. So this um, might be a welterweight. Is it? I don't know. Wikipedia. I don't know what how to, what to trust Wikipedia right now or not. Mm-hmm. He's but, historically <laughs> fought at middleweight. So if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. Uh, Nathaniel Wood uh, trying to get some of that prospect shine back on him. He's on this card too. Um, his nickname is literally the prospect. And then he lost to John Dotson. So you got you got to win fights to be a prospect. You're 27 years old. You're just good, or you're no longer the prospect at this point. Normally, that's how this works. Well, eventually, the nickname just becomes ironic. Yeah, fair enough. Um, California kid. Um, yeah, Betch Cohea. Just give me her warm up, and like that's really all I need from the fight. Her weird pre fight dance. That's why I'm here for Betch Cohea. It's it's not going in the record book, but without knowing who she is, um, for the record, I'm taking Panny Clanzed over Betch Uh, uh That's the last card here um, at the at Fight Island. UFC is going to be back at the Apex uh, next week for Holly Holm and uh, Irene Aldana, and a lot of crap. If I'm being honest, um, just. Vincente Luque's on there versus Randy Brown. That'd be fun. They'll beat each other up. Um, that is, uh, I think that's all the MMA stuff this week, though. Um, unless something broke in the last hour or so. But let's do stuff we like. Um, I know what Mike's going to talk about, so I'm going to let him go first because I know I'm going to be part of this. So go ahead, Mike. <laughs> yeah, so I'm about five years late on this, and I'm pretty sure Bobby's probably been talking about it since uh, probably the first uh, post. Mm-hmm. that they've had but you know what better late than never i discovered the majesty that is uh up up down down um 
video game uh, YouTube channel from uh, Austin Creed, aka Xavier Woods of uh, of the New Day. I pretty much all weekend after I watched, I forget which video got me onto it, but much like a series on Netflix, it was I think probably The Miz and yes. Tyler Breeze. Yeah, had a had a played. I don't even know what the game was, but. It was a it was a Power Rangers fighting game, which was garbage. I remember that from the nineties. And what really sold me on it was just how into it the Miz was, and how halfway through, because the Miz was yelling so loud, his wife came into the room to yell at him because he was possibly gonna wake the baby. And everyone has had this moment if they've been in a relationship and their girl, you know, G checks them and in front of his boys where they start clowning you and laughing at you and the poor biz is trying to you know act like yo i wear the pants in this in this family and failing miserably telling his wife yeah yeah i'm gonna go do it i'm gonna go do it yo i'm playing a video game i'm playing a video game and she does not give a shit she i like what he's like i like what he keeps saying he's like it's, it's a championship it's a championship like she gives a fuck <laughs> and he ends up losing, and the look of just deje dejection in his eyes was just, all right, I need to keep watching this. So, much like a Netflix series, I hate watching it halfway through, so I decided to go back to the first Up Up Down Down Championship tournament, and I pretty much watched that for all of Saturday, and I started watching a lot of the title defenses on Sunday, so I'm pretty sold on this channel. I've actually started going back all the way to about five years ago. And uh, one video I watched in particular today was a video of a pre-beard uh, Xavier Woods, because that, that looks weird, um, with a pre-colorful wig, Sasha Banks, where they're playing a Sailor Moon beat-em-up game. And Xavier Woods is just, you know, shooting the shit with uh, Sasha Banks, just interviewing her. So it was uh, very interesting. And the best part I would say I love about Up, Up, Down, Down is, um, as you guys know, I've gotten back into wrestling in maybe about the last year and a half, two years. And it's been really refreshing seeing all of these people not as their ring personas for the most part, where they're just, you can really tell, like, all of them hang out together all the time. They're all... Well, most of them, I'm assuming, are really good friends, and it comes out. And also that these, you know, supreme top of, uh, you know, fitness athletes, a lot of them are massive fucking nerds as well, which makes me feel good. And Mike, uh, my little contribution to this one is my favorite personalities in all of pro wrestling period are the Iconics. And they have many a glorious episode because they are absolute like best friends with like the New Day guys, so they have a lot of fun on. There's uh, a really uh, good. Features. There's a really good. Um, they did up up down. I think it's a two parter where Woods plays some sort of trivia game with the Iconics. It's very good. Look, it's honestly. Um, I think I've probably. I mean, if you guys listen to this podcast a long time, I've definitely talked about this before. I like that you kind of get to know these people a little bit, and it makes you kind of root for them. Even when, like, you don't really, like, if it wasn't for the show, you would not, like, care for a lot of their work. Like, I think I mentioned one time to Stefan that, like, I'm okay with Baron Corbin. And Stefan's like, why would you be okay with Baron Corbin? He's not, like, dislike him because he's a heel. It's like, you dislike him. Like, it's just, he's not a good character at all. And I'm like, he seems like a nice guy, honestly. 
<laughs> he's on up, up, down, down, and he seems like a good dude. I mean, um, it's, a, it's a great formula. It's personal stories, right? Yeah. Personal stories are what make us root for people. What's yeah, funny? Mighty Mouse is Mighty Mouse is on there once um, with Woods. You talking uh, about Baron Corbin? Like I haven't cared for Baron Corbin at all. And actually, after his matchup with AJ Styles, where he was just so frustrated throughout the whole matchup, it's like, all right, I see like a nice little human side to Baron Corbin. This is uh, this is refreshing. We only ended up at Super Potato because I saw it on Up Up Down Down at that shop in uh, in Tokyo. We went to. You'll see it eventually, Mike. But I remember when I was actually watching this more. They did a lot of Madden tournaments, and my favorite recurring bit was Seth Rollins, since he's from the Midwest, Iowa. He absolutely has to fa- play with his favorite Chicago Bears, but Chicago Bears are terrible in every edition of Madden. So he inevitably <laughs> gets frustrated that he's playing this shitty team and he's losing these close matches. It's like, Seth, why don't you just pick a better team? But he's so hell-bent on being the Bears, but they suck in the game. He just can't overcome it. What can you do? Um, Yeah, uh, Max Holloway was on Up, Up, Down, Down. He uh, beat Big E's ass in UFC 2 or 3 while playing as himself, that's got to be satisfying. Honestly. Like, just, that's really got to be satisfying. I like up, up, down on quite a bit. Um, so yeah, I was excited Mike started watching it. Um, Mike can eventually learn how much, like, AJ Styles is just the worst loser in the history of video games. And The Miz never gets satisfaction. Um, I'll just piggyback off of, off of that. We found an app for, um, syncing, like, kind of like Netflix Watch Party. But it does it for a lot of for a lot of different services, and Mike and I and our friend Phil were using it to sync to watch uh, YouTube videos. So that's called uh, MetaStream. Um, it's just an extension on Chrome. You got to use the browser for all these, which is kind of lame. It'd be nice if they figured out a way for like Roku apps or PlayStation apps or Apple TV apps to like we could all sync them too. But uh, MetaStream, though, it's called. Um, I think the website was like getmetastream.com or something. But Google it. Um, they haven't stolen my information yet. It's been four days. So that's all I can say so far. Um, yeah, I don't really have, uh, I think I got much else. I don't know what else I watched to be. Oh, well, yeah, I do. Stefan. Yeah. Um, yeah not, you, you talk about it. I'll chime in too. Yeah, no, I'd, I'd say I'd, I'd be pretty good to go next because, um, mine segue into stuff, uh, probably both you and Mark like this week. Um, I love going to movies. Um, I think, I don't think I know anyone who likes just, the idea of going to a movie and seeing a movie more than I personally do. I, I just really love that as an experience. Um, and unfortunately during the shelter in place, that's one of those things that has just truly, truly gone by the wayside and Lord knows if it's ever going to come back. I know uh, tenant is out there and it keeps delaying itself because um, Christopher Nolan is hell bent on that being a movie theater experience. Um, but you know, two movies came to streaming this past week, and um, I happened to check them out, and I enjoyed the hell out of them. Uh, the first one I'll mention, uh, I won't go into spoilers on any of them, just because they're pretty fresh. So, you know, I, I do encourage people to just go out there and check them, because you got Hulu or Netflix, and you definitely know someone who's got these. You gotta log in. Go check them out. Um, the first one on Netflix was uh, based on this comic book five-issue uh, miniseries starring Charlie Theron called The Old Guard. Um, I didn't I honestly wasn't super familiar with the comic, but um, that was fine with me. Uh, I saw a trailer for it. I was sold on the premise. Essentially, we got this group of Wolverines. Um, They have these regenerative factors, and um, they're kind of this little five-team tactical army. Um, That's really all you just need to know. Um, The kind of interesting thing is they're essentially immortal, but they kind of come from different eras. 
Um, so we kind of get these flashbacks of previous lives. Um, they don't say it outright in the movie, but uh, per the comic, Charlize Theron's character is um, 6,700 years old. So she predates Jesus Christ. Uh, I think I read someone said is basically she's from the time when they invented calendars, like the concept of keeping time. Like, so it's just interesting to have that as a backstory and people are immortals and come a long way. Um, you know, very superhero premise, but a fun action movie um, definitely has a streaming feel to it. You can tell that they didn't quite have that Hollywood blockbuster big budget. But um, Charlize Theron is the go-to female action star. I absolutely love her um, in it. I think her fight choreography, it, it looks very authentic from her. Um, and that's one of those things that sets action stars apart. Like, does the, do they look like credible fighters, even though it is choreographed, even though there are stunt doubles? And uh, Charlize absolutely sells it well. Really enjoyed that as just a fun action movie. Um, and then over on Hulu, uh, Bob, you mentioned it. You and Mark both got to check it out. Uh, fucking uh, Palm Springs starring Andy Samberg and um, how do you say her name? Uh, I think it's Kristen Milotti. Milotti? Okay, Kristen Milotti, yeah. I think. Um, just a very fun rom-com. All I knew about it was it's a Groundhog's Day movie, right? Um, that's just a very fun trope. We've seen it played with in a lot of genres. Um, I think Happy Death Day was like a, you know, schlocky horror movie that came out not long ago. Um, Netflix had a very popular series called Russian Doll that was um, a Groundhog's Day type thing. Um, And so, yeah, it's just these two people reliving this wedding day in Palm Springs over and over again. Um, And I found it to be a really charming movie. Yeah, I feel anything we say about it is going to start spoiling stuff, quite frankly. But I loved it. I thought it was really well done, and I just wanted more people to watch it so we could all talk about it. Um, and Steph and I have talked about it a handful of times in the, whatever, four days, five days since I watched it. Um, I was, uh, the, one of my things, and this is just a side note, I told Steph, I'm like, they, they should have, uh, they should, they, they, they messed up with this lady in How I Met Your Mother. Spoilers of all spoilers. By the way, she's the mother and how I met your mother, but they fucked up the ending. I remember telling Steph, I'm like, she's really good. Like they could have just, I would have watched the show about him courting her for whatever amount of time it was. Like she's very charming. Um, Sandberg kills it in this. Um, he had to act a little bit, um, not just be funny. Um, which you see in Brooklyn Nine-Nine, sometimes he does actually not just be funny, but like show a little bit more, you know, acting, I guess, for lack of a better term. He, I thought he did really well. Um, I will just say J.K. Simmons can do anything and do it well. He's a really good actor, and he's really good in this. So, um, And just for no reason, Peter Gallagher being in the movie made me happy. Just That's it. I mean, you guys should all watch this movie. I really don't want to give anything away. Steph knows that, too. Like, you should all watch this movie. Mark, what would you think of it? <laughs> yeah, I really liked it. Um, I agree with all you guys' points. I mean, what I would say, which kind of surprised me in the very beginning is uh this is a lonely island joint like this isn't just isn't just like a sandberg movie that he got contracted out to do where he, he took up you know this is like him him and his boys and if you know their kind of stuff or you've been a fan of theirs um i would say this one rang a little more serious i mean there's jeff there's definitely a lot of comedy in it but it's i mean a lot of times that's center stage and, and this it does take kind of a backseat to more of the the not even like the rom-com stuff but like what's happening in universe and, and all that stuff and it is just a fun premise uh so yeah, I really enjoyed it. I totally recommend recommend it, just like you guys. Yeah, they didn't write it. Um, their production company did it, though. Um, and it has the record for the biggest sale, the highest sale in the history of the Sundance Film Festivals. There's a lot of times 
how those film festivals work is that you do bring movies there in hopes of having a studio be the uh, bid on being the uh, being the distributor. So it has the record at Sundance, which, as Steph put it, we don't know when the fuck's what the fuck's going on anyway. So that might be a record for a while. Um, I mean, Steph, yeah, I got one more thing because it's honestly the biggest thing, and I'll I'll pass it off to Mark because I've been blabbing for quite a bit. But uh, motherfucking Ghosts of Tsushima. I cannot express how much I played this game over the weekend. Like, I was staying up till 5 a.m. Friday night, Thursday night, Saturday night, Sunday night. Like, I went to work today. I was fucked. I had, like, three hours of sleep and a very broken sleep going into my work today because I can't stop playing Ghost of Tsushima. Uh, spoiler alert, I've been playing that game during this podcast. I told Mark I was going to do it. I'm fucking addicted. This is the most fun video game. Like, it's not saying it's a purely, like, best video game. Like, you know, we, we talked about Last of Us a lot the last couple weeks, and I'm playing that for the story. But in terms of playing a game for just the sheer satisfaction of playing the game, I've wanted a sandbox samurai feudal Japan game probably before I could even conceive of the notion. Like, this has always been my one of my favorite subjects in he- history, and we just don't get a lot of it here. We're a very Eurocentric society. The feudal Japan just doesn't come up enough, and now it's here, and I am relishing every goddamn moment of it. Mark, take over. <laughs> yeah, Mark, what do you got? Uh, yeah, so I mean, just to, to tag on with Steph, because uh, I've also been playing Ghost and enjoying it just as much as he has. And, um, you know, even before I had to play, because I had, you know, some other obligations, so I didn't get to play it until Saturday. So I haven't even played it all that much. Um, I've been listening to a lot of opinions and podcasts, and opinions are, I've heard people that are just like Steph, was like, this is the best fucking thing ever. And a lot of people that are critical of the game kind of saying like, this is very much an open world game where you are kind of doing the same things. You're there's lots of question marks on the board that you're you're going to and checking off. And I think also what has to be mentioned is like, I think we're very much in the honeymoon phase where like everything is new and exciting in the game and the repetition hasn't really gone in. Uh, but I think to its credit, um, if you don't play a lot of open world games or aren't feeling that fatigue, and I think more so to what Stefan's getting at and from a lot of the reactions that people are really positive about the game is like, if you're into samurai shit, like this, you're probably going to like this game a lot. And me and Steph are. And I think one of the things that has personally got me really invested in it and has really just kind of wowed me is, and I've talked about this on the podcast before, um, katanas and lightsabers in video games can often feel like a bat you're just whacking a dude with over and over again. And it does not feel like you were cutting or slicing someone with a lightsaber. And I think even the last Jedi game was faulty of that uh, quite often. But this game feels like a fucking katana because um, there's multiple times where you will get one hit to kill a person. And when you do have to hit a person multiple times, they sell it that, yeah, I just sliced a dude. Because when you hit a dude, blood's all over the place. Like, it's like yeah, I just surgically opened this man up because he's covered in blood. I'm covered in blood. And uh, one thing that I really think makes the combat very visceral and makes it feel so good is that when you finish opponents off in this game, often there is a finishing animation that feels very authentic. You're either stabbing the dude or you slice into him and you do like a yank out. And it just, it feels extremely well choreographed and it just feels good to do. And that's why, you know, even though I've done multiple fights and I've done them the same way, even though they're slightly different, like one, it feels good. And when you kill like four dudes... And it looks like a samurai. It looks like you can make it look like a samurai movie. It's like, well, I parry this guy's shot and I get one slice on him and he dies. And I, I, you know, I, I dodge this one. I mean, like, there are some encounters where they're really short and quick, but it makes me feel like I felt at the best of Last of Us where, like, I just pulled off, like, shit that you'd only see in a movie. And I did that. I 
methodically thought about what I was going to do and pulled those button presses and it made a really cool thematic uh, screen action scene happen on my screen. And that's really satisfying. So um, I've been really enjoying Ghost of Tsushima as well. Um, it is, yeah, it's just, I think the combat is key and I think the exploration has been really fun and the upgrades have also been fun. You know, it has a, same, a lot of the trappings that these other games have, but so far they've been really satisfying. Um, so thus I've been enjoying my time a lot. Um, I do want to point out one game that is coming out, uh, this week that I've actually had an eye on for a while that I think looks really cool. Um, this one is only going to be on Switch, Xbox, and Steam, so no PS4. Um, it's a indie game called, uh, Carrion, and basically this is kind of, again, you know, I say this a lot and it never gives it enough credit, a pixelated art style, but 2D platformer metroidvania kind of looking game but the tr twist here is that you play as an abominational space monster and you're basically have all these tentacles that like basically how you get around the world is shooting these tentacles and pulling yourself and killing these crew members by pulling them into your maw and it just looks like a really sick lovecraft space horror game where you get to play as the fucking monster ripping shit up uh so that looks really appealing so i'm really looking forward to that but yeah that and ghost have been uh quite interesting recently and that's been taking up a lot of my time so yeah I love the I love the use of the word maw. Mm, yes, it, it, it's hard to convey that type of disgusting, abominable creature. But maw does does a good job to, to paint that picture. I agree. Um, yeah, that's it for this week, guys. Um, we'll be back next week to see uh, if me and Stefan were too confident about Bobby Knuckles. <laughs> Really? And see which of these old guys has something left. I mean, you gotta remember, Darren Till is the guy who grew up in a part of England so dangerous, they sent him to Brazil, because that's the safer place. I think we just end with that. Thank you all for listening. Be back next week. Um, watch Palm Springs if you got Hulu. If you don't have Hulu, sign up for a Hulu trial, then cancel Hulu. They don't need, they don't need your money. They're, they'll be fine. All right? Hulu trial. Make it happen. All right. See you guys next week. Um, that was Kid Presentable. That was Lavender Gooms. And that was DJ Mark. I'm Dr. Law. Peace out. See ya. Cheers.